So we're going back to the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 38 to 44. Um, originally, I don't know if you remember that, two weeks ago, uh, the message had the same name, the blessing of hearing the Messiah. And the reason it had the same name is because the passage, you know, from verse 31 all the way to 44 was meant to be one message. But because, I don't know, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think that day I wanted to share some information about something. And that's why I decided to cut it in half so that way I wouldn't take much of your time. So today might be a little bit of a short message, but I think it will be a blessing to our lives. Now, these sort of passages, when we find this sort of like narrative in, in the New Testament, uh, these are passages that are usually avoided by people for, for one reason or another. What I mean by that is it's sometimes hard to preach out of these passages. And what people do is, let's say they're preaching on Philippians, and then they take the account of Luke 4:38 to 44 as an example to that message. So, but they don't necessarily preach as a whole from the from these passages. And the reason for that is because sometimes it's just a narrative, you know. And when it's just a narrative, there's really not much that you can add sometimes to it. Uh, but in this case, I kind of want us to kind of understand what's going on. And and when you look, when you read any single gospel, it doesn't matter which one it is—the the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of John, even the Gospel of Mark. You start to see a build-up. You know, Jesus is doing something, but the expectation of him is different, right? You know, Jesus is preaching the gospel. Jesus is preaching uh, forgiveness of sin. And then the expectation of people is different. It's different. And you see some anger. You see some people confused. You see some people stop following Jesus because of this. But it's building up. It's building up. And then we get to the climax. And the climax will be the crucifixion. When Jesus gets arrested and people get to a point where they just want to see him now that didn't come out of nowhere it came from this reality that people was preaching something and, and, and Jesus was preaching something he was offering something but what people wanted was something different and today we, we still see that build up we see it a little bit different this time but I'd like us to talk on this idea that Jesus is more than a healer Jesus is more than a protector Jesus is more than and a provider. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is none of those things. Jesus, he is those things. He is a healer. He is a provider. He is a protector. But that was not his sole mission for coming to come to earth. He didn't come just for that purpose, to heal someone or to provide for someone or to protect someone. His purpose was much greater than that. His purpose was much greater than that. But unfortunately, in our lives as Christians, we see Jesus the same way as these people were doing. Sometimes we see him as our healer. As I said, there's nothing wrong with that. But we see Jesus or God as this being that is there to heal us, to make sure that we don't fall sick, to make sure that our families are always healthy. Or we also sometimes just see Jesus as the provider, as this being that is there to provide for all of our needs. And whenever he doesn't do that, do that you know, sometimes we grow weary, sometimes we get upset, sometimes we grow sad because he doesn't do those things. Now, once again, Jesus is all of those things for us, but he is more than that. He is more than that. If we go back to chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, when we look at verse 18 and 19, we see this reality that Jesus, the Spirit of God, was upon him. In other words, the power of God was in him. He was anointed and he was sent. Now, what was he sent to do? Well, number one, he was sent to preach the gospel to the poor. In other words, to those who were spiritual poor, Jesus came to give, to give riches and spiritual spiritual riches. And then he also came to release the captives, those who were being, in other words, how do I say this, imprisoned by sin, addicted to sin, and they were unable 
to stop sin. And Jesus came to release them. And those who were spiritually blind, he came to give them sight, to allow them to see once again what was the will of God for the nation and for their lives. And then he came to set them free. He came to set free the oppressed. Those who were oppressed by sin, Jesus came to free them from sin. And so today, in the story that we have in front of us, we're going to see four main ideas. And, and that's my goal, just four main ideas. They're straightforward. Number one is the testimony of Jesus must be shared. The purpose of Jesus must be served. The divinity of Jesus must be signaled. And his message must be spread. And that is what we're going to see in these few verses in front of us. This, this idea of what normal people used to do with the idea of Jesus. Or with this, this person that was in front of them that was making all these miracles. Doing all these signals. Doing all these wonders. And preaching all these things that they were in awe whenever they heard them. What is it that they did and how, what we can learn from them. So in verse 39, it reads, And standing over her, oops, verse 38, I mean, Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. So just to kind of bring you back to the story, remember, two weeks ago we were talking about how he went to a synagogue and he was teaching, and people were amazed at his teaching because he was doing it with authority. In other words, he was not quoting anyone. He was teaching by himself. He was mentioning other people. And whenever they heard him, they just felt that it was true. They, were, they just felt that there was something about him that he made sense what he was saying. So people were amazed by that. We also see a demon-possessed person, you know, stand up and, you know, start saying, Hey, you are the son of God. You are the holy one. Jesus rebukes that demon. And the demon goes out. And so what happens? People are amazed. That's how we end two weeks ago. People are looking at him. They're like, Who is this guy? that teaches with authority that even the demons obey him. Who is this person? So Jesus is, finishes his lesson, finishes his sermons, and then he tells us that he went to Simon's home. Now, at this particular point in the story, Luke decides to, decides to do it a little bit out of order. What I mean by that, Simon and most of the disciples were already with Christ, but Luke hasn't told us yet when it happened. After this story is when Luke, Luke gives us his account of whenever Jesus called his disciples. But at this point, it is good to understand that the apostles, you know, they're with him. His disciples, they're with him. At least most of them at this point. And so we don't know how uh, people decided to tell him, hey, come to Simon's home. Maybe it was what, what they already had planned that, you know, they were going to stop by Simon's house because, you know, Simon was with Jesus. And maybe that was the plan. Hey, we're going to go. You're going to sleep there and you know, we're going to rest there. But what matters here is that we see that whenever they got to Simon's home, we find out that Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. Now, who asked Jesus to help her? Well, it is very obvious that maybe Simon didn't even know that his mother-in-law was sick because he was with Jesus. He was traveling with him, so they're just getting home. But the people, the people who had heard about Jesus, they come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, She's sick. She has a fever. Is there anything you can do for her? The question in Greek is actually, is there anything you can tell us about her? So they were not necessarily asking him to do something, but they just kind of wanted to know his opinion. Is there anything that can be done for her? Now, the reason they're asking this is because in those times, a fever was something very dangerous. You know, now in our days, you get a fever and you're like, just, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to sleep. And if it gets too worse, you go to the doctor and they give you some medicine. And then you'll be okay. But in those times, it was something that could kill you. Because there were no antibiotics. There was no antiviral medication. 
It was just you get a fever and, you know, pray to God and hope that it goes away. So when people got fever, everyone would, be, would get scared because there was like, you know, it could be the end of this person because she has or he has a big fever. And so she's experiencing this fever and now people come to Jesus and they're asking him, is there anything that can be done about her? Now, like us to pay attention of the reality of what's going on here. The mother, the, the mother-in-law of Simon, she didn't know of Jesus' miraculous power. She didn't know of what Jesus was doing. She's sick. She's at home. But other people are watching. Other people are listening to Jesus, are seeing what Jesus is doing. And whenever they see what Jesus is doing, and they have an opportunity to come to Jesus, they ask him, hey, can you heal this person? Is there anything you can do about this person? Now, this is the principle that I want us to, to learn. When you have or know the solution of the problem of someone you care for, you share it with them, right? You know, when someone is going through a problem, when someone is going through an issue, when someone is going through a complication, and you know how to solve that problem, you share that information with the person, right? Because you care for them. You don't want to see them suffering. And at this point, these people, they've been seeing Jesus. They heard of Jesus. They know that he's doing wonders. And now they, they know that this lady is suffering this fever, and all they can do is come to Jesus and present Jesus to this lady and say, hey, is there anything you can do for her? Now, all of us have friends, family, or people we know that don't know of Jesus, right? And if you are a Christian, I will assume that you know that the biggest problem of our generation, the biggest problem of our world is sin, right? Because in sin, we are dead without Christ. We're children of wrath. But we know the solution to that problem, right? We know the solution. And what should we be doing for the people we care for? We should be sharing this solution, this solution of sin with people. This is exactly what these people are doing. They don't know everything about Jesus. They're, right now, they're just looking at him as some kind of person that is being used by God. And he's able to do these amazing things. And as we're about to see in the passage, they're looking at him in the wrong way. But nonetheless, they see something of benefit in him. And so they share it with others. And so they invite other people to come to Jesus or they invite Jesus to come other, to other people. So what can we learn from these people? These people didn't even know that Jesus could save them at this point. And yet they were talking and sharing the good news of Jesus, that there was this guy that could heal someone. When was the last time that you share about Jesus with the people you care about? When was the last time that you told him, hey, there is this person I serve, there is this being, there is this God that I love and that I serve, that I believe has a solution to your greatest problem, that is sin. When was the last time you did that? Now these people are doing that, not necessarily in regard to sin, but they're doing it in regards to disease and sickness because they see in Jesus the solution for that. And so they, what they do, they share. They just share. If you remember two weeks ago, our passage ended by saying that the information or the report about Jesus was sp spreading throughout the district. In other words, people were looking at him and they were sharing it with everyone. They were sharing it with everyone because they believed that everyone needed to hear what Jesus was doing. And so we are called to do the same. His testimony must be shared. It must be shared with our family. It must be shared with our friends. It must be shared with our coworkers, with everyone we know. We need to share about Jesus. That is what people were doing. Now, the second thing, when we go to verse 39, we see that his purpose must be served. And to, for me, that is very, very amazing. And I'll explain it to you why. Now, verse 39 says, And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and he left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. 
Now, of course, all of us know that Jesus has the power to heal. Now, whenever we read this, some people ask the question, why her and not the others? Because if you remember correctly, a few verses ago, there was a multitude of people coming to Jesus, and they wanted to be healed. They wanted, they wanted Jesus to do wonders among them. But for one reason or another, Jesus didn't do it. And so they got so mad. They got so upset. Now, let me just share a couple of thoughts about this. It had nothing to do about the people. Sometimes we, we think wrong and we're like, oh, maybe, maybe Peter's mother-in-law, she was a better person. Maybe she was a, a better follower of God. And so that's why Jesus decided to heal her. Or, or maybe it was because of Simon. Maybe because Simon had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's why Jesus decided to heal this lady. But it's important for us to understand that it's not about us. It was nothing about Peter's mother-in-law, nothing about Peter, or nothing about the people at Capernaum, or nothing about the people of Nazareth that made Jesus heal them, or made Jesus do wonders among them. It was just his will, his purpose, and his timing. And sometimes we're not going to understand it. You know, if you ask me why, I'm not able to tell you. But what I can tell you is that God works his will. His will gets always fulfilled. And at this point, he decided to heal this lady, and so he did. And now this is the way he does it. He just rebuked the fever and he left her. Now it is important for us to note that whenever Jesus is going to do something in your life, whenever God is doing something in your life, there's no necessity for a ritual. There's no necessity for you to do something on your part. I cannot tell you the amount of times that I've read books, that I've watched sermons or listened to sermons where there is a preacher that is saying, hey, have faith, donate such amount of money and Christ will heal you. Or come to our church and Christ will heal you. Or do this or do that or travel to such a place and Christ will do something in your life. When Christ does, does something on someone's life, this has nothing to do about the person. It is about him displaying his power. Christ doesn't need you to donate anything. Christ doesn't need you to go somewhere to be healed. He himself has the power to do it. And so... Don't fall for those tactics. Don't fall for those tricks that when people are claiming that they can heal you or they can do something for you, only Christ has the power to do that, and he does it at his will, not at someone else's will. Now, something else that we see here is, you know, he healed her, and now what happened? She immediately got up and waited on them. In other words, the word waited it was meant to be translated as serve. She was serving them. Now, what that means is that she was actually giving them food. You know, Jesus was probably hungry. His disciples were probably hungry. And the first thing that she does, whenever Christ does something for her, is to serve Christ. And that's what I mean when I say his purpose must be served. When Christ does something for us, sometimes our first reaction is to ask for more. Have you ever met someone that, you know, asks, asks you for a favor and, you know, maybe, hey, let me borrow $100. And then you let them borrow those $100. And then they're like, you know what? I'm at risk. But, hey, can you do 150? It's happened to me. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? And I'm like, okay, I'll give you 150. But sometimes we have that attitude towards God. He does something for us. And the very first thing that we think of is, can you now do this? Or can now you do something else for me? Can you do this? Can you do that? And we start bringing more and more and more petitions to him. But instead of that, our attitude should be the same as this lady, that immediately she got up and she served Christ. In the only way that she could. She was probably not an educated lady. She probably didn't have a lot of financial resources to give money for the ministry. But all she could think to do at that moment was, I'm going to serve them good. 
And so she did. So when Christ came to our lives, he did something amazing. He did something amazing for us. Yes, some people he has healed. Yes, some people he has provided for them financially. Yes, some people he has done many other things. But the greatest miracle in our lives is our salvation. It's that gift of grace and mercy upon our lives. And what do we do? What are we supposed to do after we receive that? We're supposed to fall so in love with what Christ did in our lives that all we can think of is, how can I serve him? How can I serve him? In the case of this lady, the only way she could serve Christ was by what? Providing food to them. In your case, it might be a little bit different. Maybe you're able to preach the gospel to other people. Maybe you're able to share financially so the message can be spread. Maybe, I don't know, you're able to go door and door and knock to people and tell them, hey, there is this guy, there is this God that saved me, that saved me from my sin, that released me of my chains. And now I am free and I'm able to serve him. And I want you to know about him. Maybe that is the way you can serve him. Maybe it is at church, just playing the guitar, singing every Sunday. Maybe it is helping with the bulletin, helping with the announcements. But something that we, all of us need to do when Christ comes to our lives is we need to find a way to serve him. Because it is about him and not about us. Sometimes we just see him, as I said, as a healer. And in this case, this is what we're about to, be, to, be, we're about to see. Verse 48 says, While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. Now my next point in regards to this is that his divinity must be signal. And there is a reason why I use the word signal. I know it sounds weird, but in the Greek, the word miracle doesn't exist. There's just not such a word, miracle. That is something that we came up with to kind of express what the Greek is trying to tell us. But in the Greek word, in the Greek language, the, the, the word miracle doesn't exist. It's actually, it actually just means a sign. It is a sign. Now, all of us know what a sign does, right? It signals to something. It shows you something. It leads you to something else. There's nothing special about the sign. It's just there to lead you to something. So in this case, what Jesus is doing here, sometimes we look at the miracle and we miss the picture. We miss the picture. Oh, Jesus is healing so many people. Oh, Jesus is healing and doing all this for these people. But sometimes we miss the picture. All these healings and all these things that Jesus is doing is just a sign for us to see the divinity in his life and that he was the messenger of God. Some people ask themselves, why is it that in our times we don't see as many miracles, as, as many healings as in those times? Now, it is definitely a difficult question to answer, but something that I could tell you is during the time of Jesus, it was very important for people to understand that there was something special about Jesus. And so that's why Jesus, everywhere he went, he was healing and he was doing all these amazing things. And when he didn't heal, just by mere speaking, by mere preaching the word of God and preaching from the prophet Isaiah, he was amazing people because people needed to understand that he came from God. It is the same thing that we see in the apostles' life. Whenever they were going to people and whenever they started their ministry, they started doing it without a lot of wonders. You know, We even see a passage that just with the shadow of Peter, people that were sick were being healed. What is it that what God was doing through them? God was trying to affirm, to give them the authority to show the world and people that he had chosen them. 
for this purpose. In regards to Jesus, that he was the son of God. And in regards to the apostles, that they were the messengers of Christ. And that is why God did all these amazing wonders among them. Now, does that mean that God doesn't do them anymore? That is another good question. And the answer, I would say it's a yes and a no. The yes is, you know, God is all-powerful. He can do anything. He heals people. He does the supernatural every day and at any time that he wills. We, we, ha we have no power to decide, hey, God, you're not supposed to do that. Or, hey, God, you're supposed to do this. But something that I can tell you, and we'll learn that from Scripture, is that he doesn't do it through people anymore. He doesn't do it through people anymore. The case of the apostles and the case of Jesus were very special. In other words, God was showing the authority that he had given his son and that he had given the messengers of his son. But today, he's not giving that type of authority to anyone. And so God heals and does the supernatural as he pleases, directly with people. So what I'm trying to say is that in our day, you don't need a preacher or you don't need a pastor to come heal you because you have God. God can heal you and God can do anything, anything that he wills in your life. Of course, it's not up to you. It's up to his will, but he can do it. Verse 41 tells us that demons were also coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God. Now, if the healings were not enough, you know, if people were like, hey, you know, in some cases we saw how people thought that Jesus was healing people by the power of demons. <laughs> but in this case, even a demon comes out shouting and saying, you are the son of God. Even a demon is declaring that Christ is the son of God, that under him the divinity of God was found. And so he said, and it tells us that Jesus rebuking them, he will not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. Now this has to do with God's timing, with Jesus' timing. This was not the time where Christ wanted demons to go all around crying that he was the son of God. But nonetheless, it was a sign. It was a sign of who Jesus is. So the world must know about Jesus. The world needs to know about his power. Sometimes he does it through people, through the testimony that we give, through the sharing of the gospel. And sometimes he does it himself, just by doing amazing things through nature, through your lives, healing people. But then we get to the heart, to the heart of this passage right here. And we go to verse 42. Remember, when I started, I told you that for these people, they were seeing Jesus as a healer. But Jesus was more than a healer. In verse 42, we see, when they came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him, and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. So when they see Jesus doing all these amazing things and healing them, you know, imagine that. And now they just found out that Jesus is planning to leave. And so they come to him, and they're like, hey, you can't leave. You can't leave. You need to stay here. We can't let you go. I mean, it makes sense, right? There is a guy who has this power to do amazing things, to pretty much give you whatever it is you want. You're not going to want to let him go. And so these people come, and they don't want him to go. But this is what Jesus tells them, verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this so people, you know, they're, they're loving Jesus. Or at least they, they're liking the idea of Jesus. And they're like, hey, don't go away. I'm pretty sure they're bringing up the thing that happened in Nazareth. Hey, we try to kill you in Nazareth. Stay with us. You know, we're going to treat you well. We're going to give you food. We're going to, you know, serve you well. But Jesus tells, tells him something very important. I must preach the kingdom of God. See, these people, they were confused. 
you know, they're liking Jesus. They, they want to keep him with them. But they're just looking at him as, as a healer, as someone that's there to provide for them, to give them what they want. But Jesus reminds them that his purpose, his purpose to be here was to preach the kingdom of God. And that is a reality that all of us, and sometimes as a church, that is a reality that sometimes we forget. The purpose of Christ, the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of his message is to preach the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean, to preach the kingdom of God? It's about this reality that those who were sinners and those who were dead in their sins can now come to God, can now be partakers of the blessings of having a relationship with God. That is what Jesus came to preach. And they were completely missing the picture. They're just so excited about this reality that Jesus is a healer, that Jesus is a person who can cast out demons. And so they love that idea, and that's why they want Jesus to stay. But Jesus tells them, I must go. I need to go. Now, this is the message for us right here. Sometimes in your life, yes, maybe you're seeing Jesus as with the right intentions. You're seeing Jesus for who he is. But you just want to keep him for yourself. You just want to keep him for yourself. Just like these people, you know, maybe you've got to know him. You've gotten to know all the amazing things he can do for your life. You've, you've gotten to know his mercy, his love, his compassion. And you're happy about those things. But maybe, just like these people, you just want to keep them for yourself. A few weeks ago, I was talking with someone who, for one reason or another, hasn't been showing up to our service. And, and this person told me something very interesting. And... This person was saying, hey, you know, we've grown. We have more people. And I kind of, I'm even going to share the word this person used. He said, it doesn't feel as homey as it used to be. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean by that? We're not trying to start a social club. That's not what we're trying to do here. Don't get me wrong. You know, I, I enjoy having all of you here. That's good. Brother Reynaldo, it's good to have you here. But, but the goal here is to spread the message of Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. We don't want to keep it for ourselves. We don't want to keep this environment for ourselves. We need everyone, everyone to hear about this great Savior that we have. And that is, that is the reason why we do church. That is the reason why we try to invite people to church. Because we are desperate for people to know about Jesus. Don't keep him for yourself. Don't do that. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes you you're encounter situations at work. Sometimes you encounter situations at school. And you're just looking at the problem. You're just looking at people pretty, pretty much being broken by sin. Marriage is being destroyed. And you don't share Jesus with them. And you don't tell them about the Savior that you have. And you don't tell them about the thing that he did for you in your life. Don't do that. Don't do that. The message must be spread. And it is our job to do that. Just as these people that we don't know who they were that came to Jesus and told Jesus, Hey, you know. Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and you need to heal her. Just as that people did, we need to bring people to Christ too. Oh, in our case, it'll be a little bit different. We'll bring people to Christ. We'll tell them, hey, come to church. Hey, listen to this message. Hey, read the Bible. Listen what God has done. Listen what Christ came to do in the world. But it is our job to do that. Stop giving for yourself. I would like to go to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And it says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a reality. All of us know that, right? 
you know. And all of us know that God is all-powerful, that God already praised the prize that Christ came, and he died for the sins of many. This is what this passage tells us. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then verse 14 tells us, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How can someone call on Christ if he has not believed on Christ? But then the question is, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How can someone come to Christ, believe in Christ, and have faith in him if they haven't heard of him? That is our job. That is what the church of Christ exists. To do the same thing that these people who were doing it for the wrong reasons, but nonetheless they were doing it. They were spreading the message of Christ. You know, it's like whenever something happens and you start sharing the information with everyone, you know. They were very, being very communicative. They were telling everyone, hey, there's this guy and he's healing people. And it is amazing what he's doing and you have to come and see him. That's what we have to do. We have to come to people and tell them, hey, there is this guy. He came. He lived a righteous life. He died for our sins. And then he resurrected on the third day. And you need to come to learn about him. That is our job. So people can hear him and they believe and by default, be saved. But then it tells us, and how will they hear without a preacher? How can they hear if there's no one saying this? Let me share with you a story. Whenever I got my first job, official job, outside of my house, you know, my dad had a business and I used to work with him. And it's always a little different when you're working for your dad. It's not actually a real job. Sometimes I wouldn't get paid. So. It wasn't a job, it was more of community service for, <laughs> that I was doing for my dad. Uh, but whenever I got at my first real job, um, I remember I used to deal with a lot of people, like talk to people and deal with them. And, and I would often say, you know, I was going to church and I knew that people needed Christ and I would pray, I would pray, I would pray, I would pray. God, let them hear your message. God, let them hear your word. God, that they may come to Christ. God, that they may come to church. But I would invite anyone. Nobody even knew that I used to go to church. They just saw me as a good guy, as a weird person that didn't do what they did, but they didn't know I used to come to church because I wasn't telling them anything. And I remember coming to this passage and seeing, hey, you know, it's actually pretty straightforward. How is it that they're going to hear? How is it that they're going to believe and be saved if there's no one preaching? Someone needs to preach, right? And in that case and in that scenario, I was like, well, I guess... The one that's supposed to be preaching is me. And so I started sharing the gospel with them. So what I'm trying to say is, we need to share the gospel. We need to share the gospel. Just imagine, these people just saw Jesus as, I don't know, some weird guy. Some people think that he was doing it by the power of demons. But nonetheless, they were telling people about him. Because they were like, wow, there's something good that this guy can do. And so they wanted others to, to see that. Now imagine us. We know he's the savior. We know he can break all of the chains of sin in our lives and bring us to Christ, to God, to spend an eternity with him. We know that. Isn't that amazing? Knowing that anyone, regardless of their past, can come to God and have a relationship with him and be with him forever. Isn't that something that we should be sharing with people? But you know what's the problem? Sometimes we don't really believe. Sometimes we don't really believe. I would like to say that it, there's another reason, but I'm like, sometimes it's just we don't really believe it. And sometimes we're doing what these people did, you know? 
We're just looking for Jesus and we're just looking at him as a healer, as a provider, as a protector, which he is all of those things. But we're not seeing him as a savior. And that is the most important thing that he is. He is a savior, a savior of our lives, a savior of our souls. So we need to share his message. As I said, this is just part of the buildup that we'll begin to see. More and more and more people will come to him. More and more people will desire to have something from Jesus. And then at the end, unfortunately, it'll end up with his crucifixion. Because why? Because people didn't get the message. But you have the opportunity to get the message today. He is here. He came here to save us. And now it is our job to share that message with everyone else. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity that you gave me to share your word today. This wonderful passage of how you, Lord, healed thousands of people, Lord. Who knows what diseases they have? Who knows what issues they have? But you healed them, Lord. The reason you healed them was to show, for it to be a sign of all the power that had been given to you of all the divinity that had been given to you and the purpose of all of that Lord was so that people could see that you are the Savior that you are the chosen the Messiah who came to save the world of his sins oh Lord I ask you that we may not just see you as a healer or as a provider or as someone that we come to whenever we're in need but that, that we may see you Lord as our Savior, as the one who paid for our sins. And that we may not just keep you for ourselves, Lord, but that we might share you with everyone we know. That we may tell everyone of the great thing that you've done for us, that is to save us of our sins, to forgive us of our transgressions. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Give us the courage to be the ones that are preaching your word, the ones that are preaching your gospel. So that in our city, everyone, Lord, might be able to hear your gospel, your message, and what you did for us. Thank you, Lord, for Carla, for having her here with us today. I ask you, Lord, that you may help her in every circumstance, situation that she's going through. And above all, Lord, I ask you that you may help her see your will and do your will. Because that is the greatest gift, aside from salvation, that a person can you do your will. It is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Thank you. So, text me. I'm not, I'm not sending an angry message to everyone. No one texts me.